0: We're working to solve problems. We're working to understand how do we make our customers successful? How do we put them forward? We're a people business. What we do is more than just providing boxes.
1: Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies
0: impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week. We interview industry experts that are at the top
1: of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 163. Today, we're discussing the evolving role of industrial distribution in a manufacturing ecosystem. Our guest this week is Nate Bucklew of ENH Electric Supply in Louisville, Kentucky. As you can probably guess, ENH is an industrial electrical distributor. They're part of CED, which for our national US audience, I have no doubt you've heard of them. But they're more than just an electrical distributor, and that's what today's conversation with Nate is all about. You'll hear me say this in the interview, but I honestly can't believe it took me this long to do an episode that pulls back the curtain on modern industrial distribution. So here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, Nate's gonna share a bit about his background. Now, Nate's a district manager at ENH, which is no small role, so there's great advice here for early career folks that want to advance their career, as well as people that are leading early career folks. Second, we get a little Distribution 101, the role of distribution in local manufacturing. But we're also going to discuss how distributors are, quite frankly, taking on more than they have in the past, becoming full-fledged service providers. And then finally, at the end, we talk a little about Louisville, because if you're a regular listener, you know that we've done a couple other recent episodes down there. Episode 159 was with Amatrol, where we talked all about workforce development and career and technical education. Episode 162 is all about bourbon, where we talked with Opus Integration about how they're continuing to bring that industry into the future. That's because this three-part series within Manufacturing Happy Hour is part of our new Made Here City series that we did in partnership with the Industrial Solutions Network, Louisville's been a blast exploring what manufacturing means to that community, that economy, the local culture. And don't forget, Made Here is more than just these podcast episodes. It's factory tour videos, including a full-on tour of an industrial distillery. We have additional content and videos which you can check out by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com ISN. Of course, as always, you can learn more at our show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 163, but again, don't miss the rest of Made Here over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash ISN. All right, it's time to meet up with Nate in what might be the most appropriate spot possible for an interview with an industrial distribution leader. You might even hear a couple fork trucks in the background of this interview. I think you know where I'm going with this, so let's jump in. Nate, as part of this like city series we've been doing, going around Louisville, we were in the, the lab at Amitra, we were at Watch Hill Proper talking about the bourbon industry with the Opus guys, and I think we have a very iconic location to talk about industrial distribution. Being inside your warehouse, literally using a spool as our table for the conversation. It's great to have you here. Authentic. Thank you for having me. We're in the warehouse right now. I got to ask you, since we are in the bourbon capital, where would we be having a beverage if we were doing this over a drink?
0: I think whiskey row is important. The historic element of that. There's a lot of good bourbon restaurants. Good, you know, good bars. Being here in Louisville, you'll find it anywhere. I think I joked a little earlier. It's gosh, that's probably a question I need to defer to my wife on as my social player. But <laughs> repeal is pretty cool. I think it's that's a, a unique one. Maybe not one of the mainstream, the Jeff Rubies of the world, certainly great, but repeal is neat and that would probably be where I went for a, for a drink.
1: Well, when you're having a beverage there, I want you to answer this question as if that's the scenario you're in, right? What makes an industrial electrical distributor such a critical part of a manufacturing
0: ecosystem? So we're sipping on bourbon. How do you answer that in one minute, 30 seconds or something? The timing is going to be the hardest part of this. I was just at a local university last night talking about what we do. And yeah, a lot of of folks get into careers to make a difference. And you think about what manufacturing is and what we do, what we aim to do is is to create that, to enable that and, and maximize the efficiency, maximize what our manufacturers can do. But ultimately, what it is, jobs, community, if you look at some of the manufacturers in town. Among the most largest employers here, it is jobs. It is a backbone of the community and what we get to do. Yeah, we're selling lighting and we're selling plant automation and safety, but we're helping to create jobs and, you know, continue that ecosystem. You know, you look through COVID, you know, where a lot of folks couldn't work. We got to, we had to, we were getting letters from customers, part of a critical infrastructure, whether that's the water treatment facilities or the utilities, food and Bev, putting food on shelves at the grocery store. We support a lot of those customers, so there is importance in what we do beyond the solution of the product that we provide. And we're going to talk about the ecosystem here today. We're going to talk about what you do,
1: what you'll be doing in the future, as well as distribution continues to evolve. But first, we want to get to know your backstory a little bit. So my first question is, how did you get into this industry? Give us a little bit
0: about how Nate Made his way into the industrial distribution world. So I started with our CB location up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's where I'm from. My father was in the industry for his career. My older brother got into, got into the industry. and like anyone, any little brother you follow what your big brother does and mm-hmm. started in the warehouse through college up in Pittsburgh, just the shelf doing, doing a lot of what we've seen. I didn't get to see a lot of the the business and the technology, but fell in love with the people so mm-hmm. it. Came back another summer, came back uh, full-time after graduation. CD's got an incredible management training program. They invested into me and taught me some of the the fundamentals of product and and industry. But people and leadership, I bounced around a little bit, came down into Kentucky. Never thought I'd leave, but moved down to Kentucky to get a broadened training experience. Mm -hmm. Spent some time in Lexington and ultimately had the opportunity to go and manage down at Elizabethtown, Kentucky, just south of here, just south of Louisville and managed down there for six years. You know, Got to know some of the manufacturing community. The bourbon industry is a big part of that market and, and this market here in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Working with customers, working with that team there, ultimately had an opportunity to come up here and manage in Louisville. I've been here for coming up on six years. Now I'm a, a district manager for our Bluegrass Industrial District, working with some of our other managers across Kentucky. And helping to ultimately build businesses that support our customers, that partner with our suppliers to make this whole thing work. And our audience probably heard this in
1: your answer. You've done everything from stocking the shelves to where you are as a district manager now here at ENH, which is a prestigious role at the end of the day. So what I want to ask you is some advice for the audience out there, maybe particularly early career talent what are the things that you've done or the things you'd recommend the folks in industry do to prepare themselves for advancement
0: and to accelerate their careers what's helped you and what advice would you give to the audience Foundation build a foundation which requires patience which is impossible as you're coming out of school whether that's high school or, or out of college and, and eager to make a difference and eager to get into you know to new roles that you mm-hmm. know that, that are aligned with your passion but ultimately to be successful for our customers you need to know what what we're doing to be successful in a management role. I've got to understand what my people are doing. And that Mm -hmm. that takes time. You got to do that. Our training program puts us in a position to learn on the site, on the job training with our experts, with our personnel who have have been doing this for a career, with our customers who ultimately, you know, help to drive us to build a business that supports them. Patience is key. Again, I was uh, at a university last night talking to folks and it's like, how long is a training program? And one to two years feels Mm -hmm. like an eternity in that time frame. Absolutely. When in reality it's quick, too quick sometimes. But you know, I think that's so important is just having a foundation to to build upon, learn upon, and then offer some insights. Patience is great advice in our instant gratification world
1: that we live in now. And especially when you're in your early twenties and two years does feel like an oh. eternity yep. versus like a blip.
0: Oh, I was there. It's easy yeah. for me to speak it now. That fourth month in the warehouse, you're like, oh, hey, when's my time? And you're outside sales. You're waiting for that next call. So it's always easier said in hindsight, but it's important. And again, whether that's the, the young professional or, or individuals looking to get into the next the next role, you know, kind of grow where you're planted and be a good coworker, be a good supplier, be a good customer. It's a people business, build good relationships, build good trust, and, and take care of those around you. A lot of the other things take care of
1: themselves. A slightly different question, reflecting back on those warehouse days, the early days of the training program, what's one of the lessons you learned back then that
0: still helps you today? Whether it was a conversation with a mentor, something you learned in that program. I'll ne- I'm never the smartest person in the room. And, and not just me. It's like, there's always something to learn. We've got insights to offer. We should be quick and free to offer those. But we got a lot to learn as well. I showed up as a 24-year-old manager with four individuals all older than me. All more knowledgeable about that market and about, frankly, our industry and how to strike that balance of leading and being led, being guided, being coached as a as a nimble balance, but an important one. I think that probably rings the most consistent for me as I look back and say, like, "Gosh, what's what were some of those important lessons learned?"
1: Continuous learning, patience. You've been distilling a lot of great advice in this part of the conversation so far. Let's shift a little bit over to like the Louisville manufacturing ecosystem. What does
0: manufacturing mean to louisville kentucky and feel free to go a little broader as well it's an identity of this market there's a commercial on tv right now of you know they say we don't manufacturing anything uh, anymore it's like go to michigan come to kentucky go to missouri and it's the reality we push a lot of things overseas and there's some financial reasons that businesses have done that but come to louisville kentucky and manufacturing is real manufacturing it matters and that's that's a little bit of a buzzword there but it's the reality of it and what it does again i mentioned a little earlier on community and jobs and building a career and providing for a family manufacturing it's key to what we do and i think there's a pride element to from being an american yeah you know Mm -hmm. in manufacturing here made in america having some of that here brings a lot of pride to this community and we've got some great manufacturers which is a big piece of that And, and i think one feeds itself More industry coming in, more investment, big investment being made. And I don't think it's any accident that Kentucky, that greater Louisville area, has been selected for a lot of those investments. We've got great people, we've got willing workers and talented workers that's built upon the, you know, I think a lot of the history and rich history of manufacturing that's here. Yeah, I'd love to hear what industry or industries are
1: capturing your attention these days. We've talked a lot about. Some of the core industries that are here in this area over the past couple interviews, we've got bourbon, we've got automotive, we've got, yeah, I just learned about the tugboat industry down in Paducah. That was, that, was, that was a new one for me.
0: What industries are capturing your attention right now? That's huge. And, and are some of the main you know, the food and bed, the automotive, I, I think have been core to this industry but over the last decade or two you know, you look at material handling and the digital transformation and how all of us as individual consumers shop, Mm -hmm. the material handling industry, some of the distribution and fulfillment, some of the parcel, the investments being made into that to be able to add efficiency, add speed, add accuracy and tracking to where we're getting updates as things are moving through miles of conveyors. That is a big part of this industry, but a big part of where our I think our industry as a whole, our nation is going as things continue to speed and buying behaviors change, those distribution centers and in those fulfillment areas, the technology and the automation that goes into that, I think has been a, a big part of the, you know, some of the growth, industrial growth here in mobile. I want to ask you, we're gonna
1: shift gears in this conversation a bit to talk about industrial distribution, what it means to be in this industry, where we see this space going, because I've said it before, but after over 150 episodes of Manufacturing Happy art's it's criminal that I really haven't addressed industrial distribution yet. So you're the perfect person to help lead us off on this. Oh. And there was a quote we said earlier, I shouldn't say a quote, was something we said earlier, that it's not the product that's on the shelves, it's the ability to get that product to the people that need
0: it quickly. Yeah. Product is irrelevant if it's not pointed at the right customer. If it's not here for our customer base, it enables, we can have... 22 million of this, 30 million of this. It's got to be here when our customers need it. And and frankly, that's been part of the frustration of the last two years for all in a supply chain capacity. But our customers, our manufacturers, they can't afford to be down. Downtime Mm -hmm. for them is crippling to their ability to stay alive, stay relevant. We've got to keep them alive. And, And some of that's critical spares on sites and then supportive capacity here, vendor managed inventory, taking this product out. So keeping that Keeping those manufacturers running is ultimately the purpose of this inventory. Otherwise, it's just simply stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you look at some of our OEMs, our machine builders, our integration speed to market. There, they've got timelines, they've got commitments that they've got to make uh, that they've made. They've got to deliver on. We've got to enable that happening at the time they need it. And and some of it, you know, again, they they might not have the space for all of this inventory. Mm-hmm. We've got to we've got to bridge that gap. So. Uh, we fulfill a role uh, there, and but again, it's just stuff. If it's not enabling our customers to do what they need to do, and, and, and what we have here should be aided by what they need.
1: We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. Are you stressed out by last-minute changes in panel building? Maybe you've encountered this scenario. Your customer has requested control cabinets from you and the delivery date is set. You use CAD to create the schematics, you've got your bill of materials, purchasing buys all the components, and then bam, your customer submits last minute changes and you're stuck going backwards to make those changes. If you've been in this situation before, then you need to check out ePlan. ePlan goes beyond your typical CAD software and is ideal for electrical engineering. You can easily integrate component data from hundreds of manufacturers and enter changes just once and apply those changes to the entire project, freeing up your time to take on more important tasks and more customers. You can learn more by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com ePlan and make sure to catch our full-length interview with them in episode 132, where we talk panel design, apprenticeships, and manufacturing the world over. And now, back to today's episode. There are some, I'd love to get into the nitty gritty a little bit because there are specific things that you do as a distributor to help get your customers to market quicker. As you say, can you give us like the highlight reel of those? You don't need to go into all the detail, but the unique
0: things that you do that are more than just the boxes on the shelves. Sure. Uh, you know, rewind the clock for years. It's, you know, next day delivers. Hey, you you get us an order. We got it on the shelf. or it's going to be on the truck tomorrow morning. So some of that has laid the foundation for that quickness, that reputation, that that service-minded existence. But as again, we've worked with customers more, we've understood, hey, what's holding you up? What you know, mm-hmm. what, you, you're having staffing problems. What can't you do? We've gone and started to take the you know kind of custom-built push-button stations, mm-hmm. or you know, built to spec terminal block kits, to where we're going to take and, and put it to where when our customer opens a box, they don't have to count all those things out. They get it. They put it on their machine, or they put it on their back panel, and they can get the field. So we've done more of that over time with customer guidance. And then we looked a little earlier at the at our modification center. we sell enclosures. We sell control panels. And we want the box and we want to provide everything that goes within it. And ultimately, our customers, we don't want to we don't necessarily panel build unless our customers are asking to, asking us to do that, but we want to put it to where they they don't have to get it and then measure out and cut a big square in stainless steel or cut fourteen push button holes in. We've got a machine that they, when they get it, they can start to get to work with wiring, with layout, and really get to the core of what they do, where their value add is. Mm-hmm. That positions us closer to them. That adds more value to them. If we can do that successfully, more consistently, we've got a really good partnership to build upon. Yeah, I think the way...
1: I summarize it is you create different ways to serve your customers in the way that need to be served, right? Not everyone needs the panels cut, right? That's an option for them that's available for the ones where that helps them get to market quicker. Another thing you do, and we talked about this with Amitrol not too many episodes ago, we were really talking about the skills gap and they do a lot of work in your market and and quite frankly beyond. They serve the globe. They do a lot of work around writing curriculum, building training stations, but you're also doing things to address the need for skilled workers and the fact that
0: we don't necessarily have all the skills we out need out there in the field today. Tell us how you're doing that. Sure. Well, we feel it. We we recognize the importance of it for our customers because we feel it ourselves. I've got, at the end of this year, we're going to have two 45-year, tenured employees retire. And we can go and recruit talented people, But but to transfer that knowledge comprehensively is tough, if not impossible. How do we, ourselves, and then how do we help our customers with those same challenges? And training's a big piece of it. Offering training, effective training, a breadth of training environments in person. We'll bring folks in here. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll take training on site to our customers. E-learning, you know, because they don't have as so many people, they can't get out of the plant. Mm-hmm. We'll offer e-learning alongside with Amitrol, Rockwell. Some of our manufacturing partners put curriculum in front of our customers that, that help their people do the job but, but advance in their job as well and, and that's again back to the community and manufacturing you know it, it's there's a pride element to it and in that career and the advancement if we can help if we can help to aid that and guide that all the more valuable we are to that yeah. customer you know there's some pride in that for ourselves as well that's a big that's a big piece of it but also again where we can't train our way through it if it's truly just a shortage of people mm-hmm. we do want to offer some of those value-added services or connect them with the expertise our integrator community. Some of our, you know, some of our delivery partners who we don't need to do it, but, but we, we know people who can. And I think that's a big part. Our ecosystem and connecting our customer with those who can solve those problems, whether those are our people or, or other partners, is critical. So we've got to be on that continued focal point of, of solving customer problems where they can't solve them themselves.
1: We've been talking about inventory. We talked about what you're doing to address the needs for skilled workers. I also want to add an aside. I just love it when we have fork trucks behind us as well. That's what makes manufacturing happy hour, manufacturing happy hour. It's not real without that. So I need to figure out how to get those in my own (laughs) podcast studio. But I do have one more, let's say, product and inventory question related thing for you before I completely switch it up a little bit. So, One of the things I think people might miss when they're thinking about distribution is I think we just nebulously assume that stuff is available somewhere and it, you know, it arrives at their door the next day. But you stock stuff that's unique to this market, right? What you have here would look a little different from what's in, say, Kansas City, for example. So explain why that part is important and why that might be something that most people don't realize about what a
0: distributor does. Sure, and different distributors do it differently. There's distribution centers that'll service you know, a, a region, the mm-hmm. Great Lakes region. Uh, we, our model is we're gonna put a warehouse here that's focused on these customers because what they need is gonna be different than Minnesota or gosh, even Elizabethtown, 40 miles south of here. The mm-hmm. customer mix down there is different than it is up here. And our inventory isn't necessarily gonna overlap. There is some, there's some A items, some common themes. But ultimately, we build our inventory to support that local customer base. And again, that's we can anticipate it. We can we can look up and see what the items are. We can get in front of our customers and understand, hey, what are you using? What are your pain points? When you're down, what's that one item that, that you can't get? And we stock accordingly. So the true intricate differences of same industry, but different customer, different market, you know, the inventory difference, inventory requirements and demands are, are going to vary. And I think what I love about what, what we're able to do, what we're able to do is build that around our local customers'
1: needs. I told you I was gonna change it up to something totally different. So we're talking about a lot of the things you do today and some things you've been building, let's say your heritage and legacy around as a distributor. What does the distributor of the future look like? What are some of the newer things you've seen that you're doing and maybe things that you're thinking of doing next?
0: People, I won't depart from it. Innovation is key and digital transformation. We've talked on some of the buzzwords and some of the things that we need to truly understand. We need to invest in. We need to bring that solution to our customers. But people's key to that. You talk to our customers about what differentiates today. The industry's changing. It's evolving. But what what makes you know out in front of customers over the last few days, the ability for them to call and get an answer when a website might not fully suggest whether it's available or what is needed we've had some customers really reinforce the, the value in people. So that piece is important today. It's important in the future. People is key uh-huh. uh, and, and, and our people in making sure we've got the right individuals to support our customers, those people. But we do, we need to be innovative. We need to be willing to invest. Again, where you think about where we sit between our customers and our suppliers. What's important to those two and mm-hmm. and. and listening to what's important to customers and helping the manufacturing community create a new generation of product or a new firmware or a new software. Mm -hmm. Our manufacturers are are brilliant and forward-looking and bringing new technologies, softwares, data-driven solutions to our customer base. We've got to be agile and work both sides of that with the end customer in mind. But ultimately, a lot of what they rely on us for is bringing that innovation. You know, you look at, you talk to customers, you retrade magazines. It's like, gosh, mm-hmm. what are customers stressed about? What do they lose sleep about? People and expertise, the the, the new technology and or innovation, and, and, and some of the, you know, maybe some of that old technology that leaves their equipment vulnerable. And, and we've got to equip ourselves to bring those solutions to them.
1: When you're on the cutting edge, like you are, and you're maybe introducing these data-driven solutions. We use the term digital transformation a lot, but really what is your help in customers leverage their data more effectively to produce more, reduce scrap, all the things that you can use that for? What is it like being a leader in that space? How do you get people to make that change? How do you coach them through that?
0: help them understand why and, mm-hmm. and that starts with our you know mm-hmm. why is this important that we upgrade the backbone of our network our customer yeah. network infrastructure oh so that they can mm-hmm. get the data get it upstream make quicker decisions understand that there's a safety incident ahead you know those types of things the understanding of why is important and, and that's us and then and then our customers too and i think you know again we we let our customers lead us a lot on, on hey what's important to you where should we go how should we be Structured. Where should our investment capacity be? But we, we need to help our customers too. They they were, again, rely on us for some of that foresight in taking some of that, you know, where do robotics fit? Where does some of this mechatronics fit in machine building? That's new. That's designing machines differently. And we've got to help and be persistent because it might not, you know, we're busy, they got machines to run. That's going to require a new engineer. We've got to be persistent with and help them understand the why mm-hmm. and the value. It's a different way to associate maybe what downtime is, it's going to alleviate the downtime. And we've got to we got to understand it so we can then convey that importance to our customer base. But we've got to understand it ourselves first.
1: The next round of our interviews coming up right after a word from our sponsor. 3M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition is a high-stakes grinding and welding competition that pits soon-to-be pros against each other to find rising stars in the skilled trades. You can catch this one-of-a-kind video series now by subscribing to 3M Abrasives YouTube channel by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com 3M. Think of this series like a manufacturing reality show, where the top winner receives a whopping $10,000 scholarship sponsored by FANUC. Now why is 3M doing this? Well, 3M is on a mission to create 5 million skilled trade and STEM learning experiences designed to inspire curiosity, improve educational outcomes, and provide transformational opportunities for underrepresented individuals. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash of the Grinders, Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. Well, I think one thing that you shared early in that answer that makes a lot of sense is you've been doing things more digitally around this warehouse and around your own operation. So You're not just showing up and saying, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z to your process. So that way you can be more efficient, have less downtime, et cetera. You're like, you have a story to build off of. It's like, this is how we automated our warehouse, added new systems, et cetera, digitized our VMI program, for example, where you're not going in with paper and pencil anymore. So those are all great examples that you have in that area. Another area that I want to ask about, it's what because we talked a lot about the product and the different ways you make that available to folks and the way you need it available. But what I think is also interesting is being a services-centric distributor as well. That's something that I think people are still getting their arms around where it's like, hey, not only do you have the technology to get people going, but you also have, with your industrial solutions network, a way to provide services from assessments, getting into something like cybersecurity as well. Mm -hmm. Where I'm really going with this question is, what is it like when you're breaking into an
0: area that might really not look and feel like what a distributor has done before? Again, there's a level of discomfort to where it's like, oh, hey, we got to we got to step our game up. We've got to have training. We got, you know, we bought this machine. That's we got to have the safety systems around. Mm-hmm. So there's some of the mechanics, the basics that like we got to make sure we're ready to offer these things. We are ready to perform in these areas. We better be darn sure as we strive to solve our customers' problem we're not poking another customer in the eye, another mm-hmm. delivery partner in the eye. And that's a nimble journey. And, and again, that's you just got to talk to the customers. You got to understand what do they need? How do we offer that? And whether it's off, us offering it or bringing in somebody who's always already built and scaled to do a lighting installation, they can buy lighting fixtures from us, mm-hmm. but ultimately they need them up in the air. And unless they've got a, a robust maintenance crew, which any of them are, are, are struggling to keep fulfilled now, mm-hmm. can we pull in a, a delivery partner and put those up? That's services. And we might not, physically go install those. We're going to offer that turnkey service to our customers. So we've got, to, we've got to get ourselves out of our comfort zone and be comfortable doing that, if that even makes sense. But we've got to align with the right delivery partners, with our own you know, delivery capabilities ourselves. It's a balance. And I think that's going to be key to the future is turnkey solutions, turnkey problem solving for our customer to where they turn to us and we go make it happen with some partners around us. I like that answer.
1: I also like that a big theme throughout this conversation, whether it's been talking about the Mod Center, whether it's been talking about services, you're looking for the areas that the manufacturing ecosystem, specific customers, the community as a whole, the areas that they need help. And you're figuring out, hey, is this something someone else is already doing? Or is this an area where we can really add value to this? And is there a partner that we can pick up along the way to do that as well? So cool overview. I hope this has given everyone out there a better understanding of where industrial distribution has been and where it continues to go. So now I wanna ask you just a little bit about Louisville as well as we get towards the end of our conversation. Like we talked about the ecosystem, but I wanna talk about just Louisville specifically. We've been hanging out here for a couple days. It's a cool town. Like What makes this place special in general? Cause I feel like it's a best kept secret town right now. Well, a bunch of people flock to Nashville for their bachelor and bachelorette parties. Louisville's up here
0: doing its own thing and it's pretty cool. Believe it or not, I'll state a theme here. It's great people. I'm not from Louisville. Came here, gosh, 12 years ago or so to eat down, but down in this general area, it's great people. And you can build a fit into a sense of community. You can build a family here, raise a family here. You know, I think the people are key. But gosh, there's a lot of fun to be had too. There's good parks, there's good museums, there's good industry. Mm. You know, it's there's a lot of good sports teams, you know, whether that's collegiate. But I won't identify either with Nicaragua or UK here. A lot of good culture from horses to bourbon and again, industry in between. But it's people and, and again, people make that all happen and people make that all relevant. We've we we've grown as outsiders to the Louisville community, we've grown, we've grown to call this home and it's been a joy. You're not the only person I've heard that from. I got a couple of buddies that have moved down here as well
1: that have said similar things. I think I kind of know where you're gonna go with the answer on this one a little bit based on the theme of our conversation, but I have to ask you. What's the manufacturing culture? I'm just gonna say the
0: manufacturing community like specifically. Collaborative, like what how would you describe it? Sure. Now I'll, I'll ask upstream or down we work with manufacturing Ford and G E. We we work with Rockwell Automation. Local manufacturing, our customer base. That's your question. Yeah, look local, local. Let's go local. Collaborative. Now we better add value. Uh, yeah. They're busy. They don't have mm-hmm. time for us to walk in and and just simply waste time or we've got to earn that entry point. We better earn that presence in front of them. And, and if we can, then, then yes, absolutely collaborative. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's key to what we do. Again, from what we have here and, and what we, the technologies we want to bring, the solutions we want to bring, we learn that from customers often. We got to earn that time. They don't have enough to give as it is. And if we're going to get in front of them, we better add value. Tell me about how this translates to the
1: culture at ENH specifically within inside these four walls and the people in your region
0: how that, you know, I think it's being mindful of, hey, we've, they have a job to do. Mm -hmm. How do we help them do that job? If you're good, we want to go make sales calls. We want to go get out in front of customers. But Why? You know, Mm -hmm. have we we done some homework? Are we showing up with a purpose and taking that approach? I'll also say, you know, understanding that we are, we're a supplier to our customers. We're a customer to our suppliers Mm -hmm. and behaving as such To make sure that it's you know we practice what we preach and and we are good to our supplier community as well. We've got to be good partners. We want to be loyal and and be innovative. You know, making sure that what we're taking to our customers, we're we're behaving as the customer for our manufacturing facility. Big question for you in the the final throes of this interview.
1: What's the most critical thing, like the one thing you would need to do as a distributor to keep your customers in business? for the next 10 years. Kind of the linchpin about if you had to pick one thing that's gonna
0: continue to make you relevant and more importantly, your customers relevant, what would that be? Yeah, I I say I'll continue on. This is more of an answer to the last question. I think everything we do has gotta be done with transparency, integrity Mm -hmm. as a baseline you know, we can do all this all day and we can make decisions here, but the collaboration, you think about, that's a big macro question in one big thing, but it's, uh, I think, getting in front of our customer base, understanding what's core to them, what their goals are, what their challenges are, so we can come back and and plan accordingly, build a business to, to enable that, to maximize that, and whether that's on the manufacturing facilities, manufacturing side, our manufacturing community, staying, keeping a facility running, preventing downtime. Understanding that, whether that's our machine builders and understanding their outlook, how much of a certain product are they going to need or understanding, hey, what are their 30,000 foot outlooks so that we can build a business and scale a business and make innovative investments that enable them and and add value to them. We've got to stay in front of our customers. It's why, again, it's why we exist. Uh, If we can build that trust, add some value and and stay in front of them, they can help us with the foresight to, to continue to put them first. Now you've covered a lot of
1: ground. Is there one lasting lesson or one takeaway you'd want the audience to walk away with this from when it comes to how they think about industrial electrical
0: distribution? There's more to it. You know, again, it's there's boxes and there's product in and mm-hmm. there's product out. but we're working to solve problems. We're working to understand how do we make manufacturing? How do we make our customers successful? How do we put them forward? You know, it's we're a people business. We are here to service our people. We've got some learning to do and evolution to do ourselves to stay current and stay relevant and stay cutting edge or get cutting edge, perhaps. But it matters. You know, what we do is more than just providing boxes, it's keeping some critical infrastructure facilities running Mm -hmm. and, you know, adding to that sense of community in important towns across the nation. You know, we talked about this while we were walking around your facility earlier, but
1: I feel like it would be wrong if the last question I didn't ask was what is your go to bourbon of choice right before we're about to? For this, some of us about to leave the bourbon capital here, Woodford
0: double oaked, Woodford Reserve double oaked. Again, not a, I'm from Pittsburgh, whiskeys in general were not my thing and I'm far from a bourbon connoisseur, but I have, I, you know, you, you try a bunch of different bourbons and very expensive bourbons and Woodford double oaked gets it done for me. Basil Hayden, if, if you forced me to to throw a second in there, Basil Hayden is excellent. Okay. Both usually available and good, you know, good, frame, good bang for buck. When you came
1: down here, were you just surprised at how ingrained bourbon culture is? I kind of expect it, but also when I just even go into a couple bars and restaurants around here, I'm just like, there's a bourbon of the week on every space you go. Like, you can't escape it. I think it's cool that one of your number one exports is also very much appreciated here sure. as well, versus
0: oh. something that's sometimes just like, that's for the tourists. Right? Oh, no, it's, you got a better chance of finding some of the Kentucky-made bourbon in other states. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is a big part of what we do. And there's a lot of pride and probably joy in, in drinking it as well. It's, you know, a little bit overwhelming on, you go to a liquor store, you look at the bourbon shelf and it's like, gosh, what decision to make? You can get paralyzed by it. But a lot of new distilleries coming up, good, innovative distilleries. And it's, again, it's a cornerstone to our market. And, you know, there's a lot of buy-in around that. Well,
1: the next time we do this, we got to be doing it over a bourbon. I know we'll get a chance to do that at some point or another. Also, I have to say, this is kind of coming full circle on a personal note. When I first started manufacturing Happy Hour a long time ago, I remember seeing your buddies at Renson House out in Kansas City doing a video series where they sat around spools. And it was think, a, kind of a joke series called Between Two Forklifts. So when I saw that, I'm like, I should do something like that someday. So now that we're sitting here at a wire spool in your facility here in Louisville, Kentucky, it's pretty cool. So I just want to thank you for jumping on the show. Cheers. You. Appreciate it, sir. Okay, so you got a bit of manufacturing happy hour history right there at the end. Between two forklifts, that inspired me to start making my own videos. A great spoof on the Zach Galifianakis series, Between Two Ferns. I believe you can still dig that piece of internet gold up somewhere on the web, but that's a conversation for another day. As always if you want to learn more from this episode make sure to go to manufacturinghappyhour.com/163 there you can find links to ENH Electric as well as Repeal if you want to get a drink when you're in downtown Louisville. By the way I like the two-way street that Nate kind of brought up there in the interview talking about how they as a distributor help educate their customer base on what's coming in automation and manufacturing, and at the same time, they're learning from their customers what's important to them, what they need on the shelf, what services they need to offer. I feel like this was the perfect takeaway at the end of our Made Here City series that's been so focused on a manufacturing community like the one we explored in Louisville. Remember, you can check that out at ManufacturingHappyHour.com slash ISN. You can see the full series there. And with that, we have reached the end of our podcast interviews for this first edition of Made Here. But there's still more to see. Again, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com/isn for facility tours, distillery tours, to see behind the scenes of ENH's distribution operation and warehouse. We still have content coming your way. One more time, I do want to give a big huge thank you to the industrial solutions network for making this series possible if you don't know the industrial solutions network definitely get to know them they are your local manufacturing technology company and they help provide the best collective information technology and services for manufacturers They're part of CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. So definitely learn more about these folks and where they can help you in the U.S. markets they serve. All right, everyone. Hey, thank you for listening. I hope you've been enjoying this series. There are more travels to come here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. With that, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.